rather than necessarily exit your small business, why don't we work on it to make it more valuable and to make it run more smoothly so you can have a higher quality of life, but still own it, right? Why would I sell my best asset? If I just hold on to this asset and maybe I hire some more talented people, reinvest in my business, I could get distributions forever. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. And when I tell you you're in a treat, ladies and gentlemen, you better get your notepad out. We've got a man with over three decades of experience with exits in with me today. He's done over 100 of them. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. They've got a five-step process to help people exit the business. And he told me an interesting stat prior to us jumping on. He said, most people crawl out of their business. They don't exit with a big bag of money. So with that, Mark Dorman's in with us. He's from the, I don't, is that the Midwest? Is that the Northeast? What is, what, what yeah, is yeah, 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 yeah. Well, for, yeah, Jerome, great to be on. Thank you for having me. So yeah, our office, uh, I'm a native Clevelander often referred to as Northeast Ohio. So I, I I work and live about 30 miles south of Cleveland, Ohio, and about 15 miles west of Akron. So the home of LeBron James. So very dynamic. If you took like the, the economy of Cleveland, Akron, Canton, where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is in Youngstown, that's like the fifth largest economy in the country, made up of more like smaller towns, if you will, but still you know, mid-sized cities. I mean, it's certainly not Philadelphia, Chicago, but, you know, more along the lines where you're at, maybe Greensboro size, sizes of cities like that. Love it. I love it. I love it. So I got to I'm going to start from the beginning. Sure. How'd yeah. you figure out what an exit was? Well, that's a good, uh, that's a great, you know, how did I get into the exit planning space? So I'm 58 and about 10 years ago, I had built from scratch a firm that did about 4 million a year in revenue in the employee benefits executive benefits and consulting space and really had a significant, I had two other partners and one of one of which and I were totally aligned as, as far as growth objectives and where we wanted to go and goals for the business, et cetera. But unfortunately, the partner that I got, I, I was aligned with, he had to move to Denver to take care of his mother-in-law's family and his mother-in-law. So off he went and I was left as a 50-50 owner in this firm. So where it was kind of me and partner A, who got along terrifically and saw things the same, I was left with partner C and myself, who kind of looked at the world a little bit differently. I wanted to grow. He was very content. And so we ended up just blowing up our business. And I took you know half of it, so to speak, and he took the other half. But it just really dawned on me how many mistakes I'd made starting that business and the lack of detail looking at operating agreements. And, you know, you hear people say, well, if you're 50 50 partners, it's a Mexican standoff and you can't really get anything done. And you're like, well, we get along great. And, <laughs> you know, it's, we're going to sing Kumbaya and all that. And it got really, you know, nasty and litigious. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, I, I had a, a small seven figure exit. And when we were done after 12 hours of an arbitration, 
my attorneys, you know, said, well, let's go grab a glass of wine across the street at the Morton Steakhouse in downtown Cleveland. And they said, well, congratulations, you won. I said, won. I said, I feel like I've been just raked over the coals, both emotionally, financially. My legal bill was $90,000, which to me is a lot of money. And they said, yeah, but you won. And I said, well, I'd hate to see what it feels like to lose. And that just really kind of, I had been doing a lot of exit planning prior to that, like through my mid and late forties. And, but that's really kind of when I had a, a moment, like I, I really need to help people here because there's just so many unintended consequences and things that can go wrong if you don't have good advisors. And I just set out a course to have a, a part of my business professional life that would, would do this. And I, I'd almost do it for free, to be honest with you, because I just really enjoy the conversations, working with people, educating them, letting them know, like you have podcasts like this, that you know, being afraid and being anxious, if you will, is totally normal and it's okay to feel that way. And once they hear that, then it's, you know, you can really, really assist them. So that's how we got started in the exit planning space. That's really, so the, the seven figure exit was the splitting of the two companies or there was an yep. exit before yep. that? Yeah, there, there, there was the splitting of the two companies and then, but I got paid money and because the valuations and all that stuff. It's just how we arrived there, right? We could have done it over a beer on the back of a napkin, but you know, you get people start lawyering up and then it's, you're, you're kind of off to the races and it just, it was, it was unfortunate, but it taught me a lot. And it's oftentimes what I share and lead with when I start to speak with prospective clients is look, let, let me tell you what happened to me. And what's that saying? If you, if you want to build relationships fastly, you, you got to make yourself vulnerable. So, you know, here's what happened to me and I'm here to try to help you avoid this because it was very painful. And it really took me probably half a dozen years to emotionally just recover from, because it was a bit of a, an attempted coup in my firm. Like, hey, we'd built this business and our revenue was very strong. We were very profitable. And a lot of the technical people looked at me and they kind of saddled up with each other and said, well, what do we need him for? Because now we've got all these clients. We could just kind of keep this business moving. And as you know, I mean, you're always you always have to add clients because things are going to change. You're going to lose business. customers. You're going to lose clients. And we just didn't really see eye to eye there. So kind of took my took my files, took some of my key people who were very loyal to me and remain loyal to me. And we remain loyal to each other, I should say, to this day. And we started over again and we built a business that's even bigger than we had, what we had before. And, and one that I think is much more meaningful and impactful when you're working with really business owners, you know, in the single largest transaction of their life, which is how do I monetize the value of my business? And, you know, the statistics are really quite compelling when you start to really, you know, peel away the onion and find out just how big of a challenge this is in, you know, not only in my business marketplace, but throughout the country, right? The number of baby boomer business owners that, you know, eat, drink and sleep their business every day for 40 years and wake up really trying to figure out how they're going to unwind their financial affairs. They've got so much of their personal net worth tied up in their business, it's kind of a race to the finish on how they're going to get that money out, right? So, you know, we've got a process and we've identified some really talented people on our team, many of which who have either been on deal side representation, accountants and attorneys that are, you know, towards the they recently retired that still want to give back, or a lot of business owners that say, hey, I, I've, I, you know, I'd like to, you know, pay it forward, if you will. So that that's, that's kind of our model. Wow. It was interesting that you talked about the emotional piece of the transaction more so than the financial piece. I, I think there's a whole lot of people who try to tinker with the business and figure out how to extract as much value as possible, but they forget about the person. 
and we were going through your website and I saw that, Hey, you've got a psychologist on staff and like you, you've got, mm-hmm. you see it a different way and mainly because of your experience. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the, it, 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 I've become good friends with Bo Burlingham who re- who's written several been several business books, a stake in the outcome and the great game of business and small giants, but his, his most recent work, which was probably about six or seven, eight years ago is a book called finish big. And he speaks really to the emotion, and he he completely agrees with me that you know, particularly for men, and this isn't meant to be sexist; it's it's more of a really a, a compliment to women business owners. But you know, men's whole sense of themselves typically is tied up in their professional identity, right? I am a lawyer, I am a doctor, I am a business owner, and you you have to really start to work at you know what are you going to do after you're not your business? Like so, so the the actual second chapter in Bo's book, Finish Big, is you know if I'm not my business then who am I? Right. And talks about a, a gentleman who I've met in Chicago who sold his business. And you know, the next day his phone just completely stopped ringing. Mm-hmm. Like his Rolodex, his Rolodex just dried up because no one needed Jerome anymore. They didn't need a favor. They didn't need to, to, to leverage his network. They didn't need anything. And he's like, whoa, this is just a big punch in the gut that, yeah, I had some money in my bank account now, but I really had lost a lot of my network and my social life and going to a ball game or playing golf and because, you know, everyone's kind of in that mix in your business life and that just dried up. So the other, the gentleman that you identified on our website is a good friend of mine, Dr. Michael Klein, who's written a book called Trapped in the Family Business. I, I would highly recommend that every, every business owner read that. Whether you have family in your business or not, I believe that ultimately all businesses are family businesses because I'm sure, I, I mean, I talk to my wife about my business and sometimes it can get a little frustrating because they don't understand how much, how hard it is to try to make, move the ball down the field. But anyway, so this book trapped in the family business identifies all these psychological issues that either prevent owners from leaving because everyone's counting on them and that's their sense of feeling trapped or other maybe adult children that are 60 or 55. I've got countless examples of this where, you know, their 79 year old dad won't give them, won't pass the baton. So they're kind of stuck here. You know, they're maybe credentialed out the wazoo and they've got an MBA and they're very, very good operators. And But somehow the, 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 they're trapped by their own, their own presence of their own parent, right? And it's just, fa- it's a fascinating subject. So Michael's what I call one of our adjunct coaches because I bring him into a lot of our exit planning engagements when you're trying to really wrestle with the fact that an owner isn't quite ready emotionally to your, to your question, right? They're just not ready to leave. When you kind of you know seek to push on that a little bit, they'll say, "Well, I don't know what else would I what I, what else would I do? What I'm gonna do with the and right. what I'm gonna do with the money is the other thing that comes up." Well, I mean, it, but it's really not about the money. It's more identity. Well, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do with my time? Right? What am I gonna? You know, I can't. Yeah, you know, I can't go fishing or play golf or travel every day of the year. I, I like working. So you find a lot of business owners now, and we talk about it a lot in our in our processes. You know. Rather than necessarily exit your small business, and when I say small business, let's say under $10 million in revenue, why don't we work on it to make it more valuable and to make it run more smoothly so you can have a higher quality of life, but still own it, right? And so in other words, why would I, and particularly, this is very, very in play right now, if you will, why would I sell my best asset? Maybe I get 2 or $3 million or $5 million, I don't know, but, and I go to reinvest that business reinvest that 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 capital that 5 million dollars into a stock market that I don't have a lot of confidence in and you know 9 10 months ago into a 
interest rate environment that would pay me next to nothing, right? But yet if I just hold on to this asset and maybe I hire some more talented people, reinvest in my business, I could get distributions forever, right? Why sell your best asset? And when you say that, when you, you kind of have that conversation with an owner, they're like, hmm, let's talk about that more because I don't really mind going to work. It's just some, there's parts of it that I hate to do. <laughs> and that's where we start to, they say, well, let's figure out what those are, make them better or hire someone else to do them, right? Or I'm going to hire Jerome Myers and pay you $150,000, $250,000 to you run my business. Yeah, that ain't enough, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Crossed you off the list, right? <laughs> but you know, you, you know what I mean. You can hire yeah. professional management, right? So it is, it is, it is, it's, it's a great space to be, and I really enjoy it. So you actually talk people out of selling their business. This is interesting. Yeah, I mean, because when you run the numbers and you ask them, well, you know, how much do you need to retire, and they they don't know, and you figure help them figure it out, and you know, ninety eight percent of all business owners in the world don't know what their business is worth. I mean, that's almost a hundred percent, right? Sure. The only reason that someone would find out what your business is worth is if you're going to gift it or you're going through a divorce or some type of transactional event. But most business owners don't ever find out what their business is worth. So if you don't know how much you need to retire yet and you don't know how much your business is worth, how can you do any planning? So the first thing that we do is, you know, let's run a valuation on your business and let's determine what retirement looks like for you. And, you know, you know, the guys and, and the ladies out there that say, well, I don't really take that much out of my business, you know maybe 10,000 a month, but all your taxes are paid by your business and all your country clubs and your travel and your kids' cell phones. And you start to add all that up and it's a mighty, it's a, it's a tidy little sum there. So we've got to tr somehow normalize all that. And then, then you ask them, look, you know, if you got $3 million or $5 million for your business and you're pulling out 400,000 in lifestyle and seller's discretionary income, if you will. Doesn't go very far. Five million is not going to go very far, yeah, yeah. right? Particularly when, you know, interest rates were two and a half, three percent and the market's kind of just floundering out there. So we started to look, you know, at and say, well, why don't we just keep your business? Right. I mean, and and they're like, let's explore that. And then we've often we've had we've had situations where business owners will get so reinvigorated about working on their business, building out a professional management team that they actually want to grow their business or maybe take and, and, and pick up bolt-on acquisitions and have almost like a family office, right? And that's that's very fun, you know? It, it, and I think that, you know, I've just learned so many. I've been such a fortunate guy. I'm not by any means a, was never in the library much in college. Let's just leave it at that. But I read a lot of books and I've become friends with a lot of guys and ladies that have written books. I mentioned Bo Burlingham. I mentioned Dr. Michael Klein. But another one is, you know, Doug Tatum, who wrote a book called No Man's Land. And he's a professor. Doug's the chairman of the Newport Board Group. At one time, he founded and ran the, the largest fractional CFO business in the country. But he's also a full-time faculty member at Florida State University. And you know, the book No Man's Land is all about you know this journey where companies are too big to be small and too small to be big. And then there's this kind of, think of it like the grand, this big chasm that if they go from like 5 million, somewhere around 20 to 25, 30 employees, that it's a real struggle to become profitable again until you get up to maybe 15 million, right? That's and this kind of quandary in the middle is what he refers to as no man's land. So I've been in meetings with him and I've heard him speak. And you know, he would say to you, if you had a $5 million company and you're making, I don't know, 15% EBITDA, right? 750,000 a year, he'd say, stop trying to grow your business. You're going to ruin it, right? As you try to push through 
everyone thinks growth is good and more is better. Well, yeah, but he's got this, you know, this concept of once you increase your stepped fixed cost, it's then very difficult to break through to the, uh, the next part of not being in no man's land. And he'll say, you know, literally you've got a great business, quit growing it. You're going to ruin it. It's just so, it really catches people by attention. But if you think about it, it's, it's actually quite true. It's big enough. That's enough. It's big enough. Exactly. It's, it's exactly right. And the number of small businesses that break through, you know, 10, 20, 50 million in revenue. I mean, they're just so few and far between, right? So you would ask before we came on the air, I mean, our typical client is, you know, probably businesses between maybe eight and 50 million in revenue. Uh, so, you know, if you had an investment banker listing, I mean, you know, that market, they'll be, they'll be much more up in the middle market, a little bit higher than that. Certainly they'll be in the $50 million space, but the majority of the businesses are below $12 million in revenue and they normally don't have uh, a terrific process. They don't have terrific advisors to go through. They're not leaning on their accountants and their lawyers and they don't have consultants and things like that. So we feel that in the space that we operate, that we can, we can really move the needle and help a lot of people out. So why is it that they don't have the support team around them? Why don't they have the accountants, the attorneys, the people to help with valuation? I'll say, I won't say brokers. I'll say people to help with valuations and marketing. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I, I mean, they're, business owners are tough, right? I mean, you think about your community, people probably, you, know, you probably know some business owners that come to mind and they're typically targets for everyone, right? Somebody always wants a piece of them. They want their money. They want their time. They want charitable opportunities, et cetera. So they kind of really are good at hiding, sticking behind their assistant or their... And you know, it's interesting that the life of a business owner, the complexity of their own financial life will cause their own paralysis, right? Mm. So they know their lives are so complicated and they've got employees and they've got personal guarantees and debt and a lot of things pulling on them that they almost kind of just pull their head into their, their shell like a turtle and they're hard to get out. But if you can work collaboratively with their lawyers and their accountants and the other, you know, I think one of the other byproducts in today's environment is, you know, after, you know, after the fall, I mean, you go back to like after the fall of Enron and stuff like that, where all the, the large accounting firms went way up market and then the smaller ones went into the middle market. Then there's this massive void of professional service in the smaller market, right? And so there's this big vacuum in there. And so you're not necessarily getting the best professional firms working in the smaller market. And I think that and the combination of a lot of owners are penny wise and pound foolish, right? They don't want to pay for advice. So in some cases, they'd rather make mistakes, pay the price, pay the penalty on the back end. That just sounds ludicrous to me. Yeah, yeah, it does. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. I, I like case studies, man. Well, sure. The clients that have come in for you, 
like you have a story of somebody who just sabotaged the deal because they didn't have the next thing figured out. They didn't know the answer to the question many of my private clients asked me when we talk after they exit instead of before they exit of what now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've unfortunately had to kind of disengage from some things. I mean, one of the things we talked about earlier is, is sometimes the, the family dynamics in a business, I can think of a couple or, or, or they're just so dysfunctional that, you know, when I get in my, you know, we get in the car with my, my colleague and I'll say, well, look, we, we can't really fix, we can't fix 35 years of dysfunction and Johnny pouting if he doesn't get his way, right? Or an overbearing father. I mean, we just can't really, I mean, as much as they say they want to exit, it's, yeah, mm, not really going to be doable. So, and conversely, we've had incredible success stories where, you know, we have, we've had a couple of businesses over a hundred years old in this area that we got, we got engaged in and we really brought that very, just very proud of the methodology that we, we built. What I love about the exit planning business is you build such rapidly intimate relationships with your clients. So you know a lot about not only their business, their personal financials, position, their families, their kids. And I have four kids, so I'm quick to tell them, look, I've got four kids too, but I wouldn't pick, it's not fair for me to say I'd pick all of them to run a business if I had one, right? I might pick this one or that one, and I won't tell you who because their mother, my my wife, will, she'll kill me. But I understand what it's like to have four children or multiple kids, and they're all different. But we had a, a terrific outcome with this 100-year-old company where we brought in, you know, the quantitative assessment of the business where it stood today. And then we did all these assessments of the stakeholders or the shareholders. And so we use the word stakeholders because you've got some folks that are owners. So that would be like the older generation. But then you've got these up and comers that certainly have a stake in the outcome. And we went through a very objective assessment. We used Dr. Michael Klein for for this work and uh, you know determined like who was best suited to be the leader here, right? Not who wanted it the most, right? Because sometimes you can want it for the wrong reasons, right? And today that company has grown like by 40%, which is hard to grow a 100-year-old company by 40% in the last 10 years, particularly with COVID, right? And it's all because of really the, the alignment of all the, sh- all the stakeholders. Everybody's on the same page there. And they all recognize that if it was you, Jerome, that was selected, it's for the right reasons and that your heart's in the right place and your ego's kind of been checked at the door and you're looking at it from you know, what's the best outcome for the business, not for me personally, right? And and I think that's very important. Yeah. You know, conversely, we had a similar situation where, you know, just the the inter-business political dynamics were so toxic that we just we just had to recuse ourselves because, you know, we're here we are trying to work with the owners and they're working against each other. And it's a it's a unfortunate thing to have to say, look, this isn't working for us and here's why. And Hope they don't reach across the desk and punch you, but it just, life's too short. I'm not going to beat my head against the wall, right? I can't care more about this than you do. And our team can't care more about the outcome than you, the client. So, you know, what what do we say? We just move move on down the road. That's hard, right? Because you know that the business is just going to deteriorate if that is the situation that they're in. Yeah. And it's, the impact is much more negative, right? I mean, it's not only the impact to the family the business, the customers, the community, the employees, right? The vendors. I mean, you're talking about every one of these businesses, they all have their own virtual micro economy. They support families, they support employees, children, 
provide benefits. They have vendor relationships. They're involved in their community, et cetera. So their their technicals reach very, very, the roots reach far and wide. And the decisions or, or lack of decisions that they make are very, can impact more than just themselves. And, and I think they, that needs to be addressed with them. And that the, the fiduciary responsibility that you have as a business owner, it certainly starts and ends at home. I get that without question, but it, it, it's, it's not the only stakeholder in the game, so to speak. So do you think like these struggles, this toxicity is tied to people like being in the six centers of doubt or is it tied to them being scared about what's going to happen at the change? Do you, is it greed? Like what is the kind of, is there a thread yeah, that's that a great, pulls it, pulls through? <laughs> if we knew that answer, right, we would, we would be nationally syndicated in, in our show here, but hopefully we can figure that one out. And I think that, you know, when you have no governance, family governance on how decisions are going to be made and, and you have some, Again, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on men because if, if their egos are so tied up in it that they can't see, you know, the forest from the trees, that's not a healthy environment. And that's the value of professional management where it becomes less, much less emotional, much more objective, much more performance driven versus loyalty driven. And you know that drill, right? So co- businesses can have a a, a a culture of loyalty. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing from, again, my, my good friend, Doug Tatum, who wrote No Man's Land is, you know, having a loyalty-based culture, there's nothing wrong with it, right? I've, I've hired my friends, I've, I've got a really good team and we're all loyal to each other, but I know that eh, I could probably do better than this individual in this role, but I will not let her, him or her go because they've been here for 30 years, right? But if you want to kind of get through to another level, you've got to go to a more performance-based environment. And, you know, that's that's a, a choice that a lot of leaders are unwilling to make. So I think, you know, your, your question's a good one. Why does this happen? Why are some families fully and relatively functional and others are completely dysfunctional? I don't think that's anyone's intention. It's just kind of, you know, the way it, the way it worked and, and kind of a repetitive history of probably bad decisions. Nobody wants to hear they made bad decisions. No, but we all have. I mean, if we're being honest, right? Yeah. I think that's the that's where we learned the most. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of solace. You talk about your mastermind group, and I'd love to just hear from you. I mean, getting in groups of business owners to say, look, I've struggled with these same things as well is very cathartic, right? You're like, wow, I thought it was just me. I thought it was my own lack of experience or my own lack of intelligence. No, these are kind of systemic issues of running a business, right? And if you ultimately, it's going to get hard and you need to know that it isn't a reflection on you. It's more just the way it is. Yeah. I think you got to be careful with some masterminds because there is no vulnerability in the room. It's all of ah. hiding behind revenue numbers. It's all uh-huh. hiding behind profit uh-huh. margins and the actual experience of the person, the emotional roller coaster that you go through while running the business or the deal fatigue you experience when you're trying to get your deal to close when you're exiting or what we call the founder's exit paradox, where you've got all these mm. feelings that are similar to an existential crisis, but it's not triggered by loss. It's triggered by some major accomplishment or goal. And you're trying to figure out like, why do I feel like this? Kind of similar to what Mm -hmm. you were saying when you were at the steakhouse. Why do I feel like this when I won? I I got out. I I got the payday. I got this check. And for most people, you said it's the biggest transaction. It's the most money they've ever held in their hand or seen in their account at one time. Sure. And why don't I feel like a winner then? Yeah. And 
Right. It's just for us, I think it's, it is the thing that made us so passionate about this word because mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of people who figure out how to help you figure out what, what account does it need to go in? What, what business structure do you need to have it in? Which account do you use? Like there's a ton of people to do that, but the person, right? Mm-hmm. The person whose mm-hmm. whole identity is wrapped up in this thing. What are they going to do now? And mm-hmm. so they end up mm-hmm. asking me three questions when they show up. Is this really it? What was it all for? And what now? Mm. And we help them navigate them because most people are scared to talk about it. And this part is probably more interesting than anything to me. That person feels like they can't say this sucks. Sure. They believe that they have to smile because for everybody else, they won the lottery. It's not allowed to suck, Jerome. It sucks. I know, but it's not allowed. (laughs) From an outsider's perspective, it's not allowed. You can't feel... Wow. Empty. Right. Why do I? Yeah, it's 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 tough. You know, it's tough. And I think that's why when you look at exit planning as a profession and as a passion, if you will, it, it's it's really equal parts, you know, quantitative and, 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 and emotional parts. And, you know, the numbers tend to take care of themselves. Right. But it's really what am I going to do next? And am I OK with that? Right. So that's interesting. Um, you say it's equal. I've been doing a ton of research. I'm buying these books as you mentioned them along on the show, but I'd find that most people have no interest in the emotional stuff. They just Mm -mm. want to figure out how to get the valuation higher because their fee is usually tied to whatever the transaction value is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. the person that's left behind and the way I say it most frequently is there's a whole person on the other side of the transaction and nobody's paying attention to them. Yeah. And, and, and I've talked to many investment bankers and financial intermediaries and I'm saying, you know, I think the the biggest mistake you guys make and ladies is you forget that, you know, this is one of seven or eight deals you'll close this year. They got one, right? They got one. I got one, one. It's just very nerve wracking and very gut wrenching and distracting and risky and the fear of the unknown and the fear of, you know, the fear of not being in control of something that you kind of were in control of, you, at least you thought so, you tried to fake it anyway. But we know that's like, I mean, sometimes your business, it's a bit like a tiger by the tail, but to just not know what the, what's around the corner. Yeah, I might be financially secure, but emotionally you can be really kind of derailed for a while. We see these six centers of doubt and the, the thing that like the prosperity piece, it's like, hey, I can afford it now, but should I? Does my financial planner, if I had one before, is that the right person for me to be talking to? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. do I buy, I, I put off buying the watch or the car for all these years. And for some reason, I still can't pull the trigger. <laughs> I need a new driver, but I'm not sure I'm really hit the next one very good either. <laughs> so. it, it's just, it's fascinating to see the prisons that we build. When we get to a place where it's like, we, we finally got our ticket and nah, yeah, I'm still trapped in this thing. Yeah. 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 That's very observant. Very observant. So does your relationship with the owners continue after the transaction? Oh yeah. They become, yeah, I mean, absolutely. They become, you know, they, as I said, they just, the, the speed at which the relationships are, I mean, I really feel, and honestly, I, and this is, yes, you know, 
I'm not one to brag, but I just feel like I have a unique combination of the financial acumen, the business acumen, but then the emotional intelligence to really partner with some of these individuals for a long, long time and make a big impact. But yeah, to, to, so some of my best professional friends and some of my best friends, period, are people that I've worked with, right? Because I know so much about them and their families and their business and their concerns and their fears. And, and, and I, share, I, I try to share equally as well to, to make them know that we're on equal footing. What do you, is there anything that's a common thread for the people who have the most success post-exit? Yeah, without question. And the sooner you start, the better the outcome. And, and when that, I mean, that would be universally applicable. So the sooner you start working, when you think about it, business owners are so caught up in the kind of the tyranny of the urgent and they're spinning plates all day long and they're just, you know, they don't know if they're coming or they're going half the time. But if you can get them to have a much more strategic perspective about their business sooner rather than later, everything gets better. Their business and professional life gets better. They're less stressed. Their business becomes more valuable. They're more in tune with what's important to them down the road. What they want to make is their kind of leave is their mark, either in a community or with their kids or university or church, whatever it might be. So without question, you know, the, the one piece of I would, I would advise is don't wait to get started. And Burlingham writes in his book, Finish Big, like the worst thing that can happen if you go through an exit planning process is your business will be better. That's the worst. Right. And you might find that you don't want to sell it. You don't want to transition it. You don't want to move out. You're just much more in, invigorated about running a business that is now a little bit easier to run because it's better. Right. I mean, you know, as I say to my kids all the time, I play a lot of golf over the years and, you know, my son's a good player. My youngest son, I'm like, it's, it sounds easy, but you know, it's, it's, it's easy to say and hard to do. Right. Thousand percent. You know, it's easy to say and hard to do, but without question, the worst outcomes, would be twofold. One, waiting too long to start and not being honest with everyone, everyone not being honest with what their objectives are and coming into it with a hidden agenda. That's a recipe for disaster. So a lot of times we, I mentioned we've kind of backed away from engagements because, you know, once you kind of do a lot of interviewing of people and you kind of really start to know the cast of characters, it's easy to say, Hey, this is going to be, we can make a huge impact here or conversely, we can't help these people. Because people aren't aligned and that, and that we can't really fix that. We try. We try to bring people to bear. But, you know, it'd be like going to going to a marriage counselor and not giving it a fair effort, right? I'm here because you made me come. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm only here because she made me. So right. I think it's probably important for us to delineate. So you, you're not the broker, right? Like the exit planning process gets them prepared. Correct. To take their business to a broker to market. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Or to sell to insiders, right? It basically is walking them through a, basically what we would almost look at as a, as a pre-due diligence process, right? So again, what's your exit timeline? When or how old do you want to be when you start to, you kind of, we call it like a glide path, right? What's your business worth? What, you know, how much income do you need? I mean, that that's kind of the easy part. That's the more crunching the numbers, if you will. And then you have to do really a thorough examination of the business itself, an assessment. So we use a platform called Capitalize, and it's actually a terrific, it's an Australian-based company. And they've got a terrific assessment tool called their Business Insights Report. So it's, like, it's essentially an MRI on your business, right? An MRI not only on the financial performance, both past and future looking, but also 
with a series of interviews with the various stakeholders, a really assessment of the level of preparedness that people have to leave their business, and then the qualitative elements, you know, and the presence of the qualitative elements that that should be found in every business. So systems and procedures, key performance indicators, all the things that professionally managed companies have that you would get paid more for if you have them in your business and dinged if you don't have them in your business. So once we do that assessment, then we can chart out a essentially a scope of business improvement, right? And say, okay, over the next 12 to 18 months, you know, we're going to coach you or hold you accountable to working on these elements. And here's the most, here's the list of priorities. And we roll up our sleeves and bring our coaching staff into play and help them. Wow. That's pretty cool. And so then at the end, they're <laughs> exit ready. They're exit ready. Correct. They're exit ready, which is really the ultimate goal. That doesn't mean they have to pull the trigger, right? But they should, you know, what's that saying? You should always run your businesses if you could sell it tomorrow to whomever you want and whenever you want, right? And so that you, you're not scrambling to fix it up in the last six weeks and you can't make the impact that you need to. That's why getting started early is so so critically important. And how do you help them get prepared emotionally on that path? Because they're, they're working on the business. They're figuring out how to get more yep. out of the business. How yep. do they chart or get better prepared? Yeah, that's a great, we've used, you know, along with some of our adjunct coaches, but you can do things like assessments, right? Emotional intelligence, you know, and just sit and talk with them, right? Like you understand that you're going to go from, you know, being, let's say the man Jerome to now they're going to look at you and say, yeah, well, Jerome used to own a business. Yeah. He used to have, but now he's retired, right? And they're kind of out the pasture and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I had an opportunity. I took advantage of it, but you know, what's that movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? You know, I'm not quite dead yet, right? So don't don't take me out. Mark, you're washed up, man. We, uh, <laughs> Some days I feel like it. <laughs> uh, so this has been good. Yeah, brother. So one, uh, two final questions for you, my brother. Sure. The first one is who else should we have on the show? You've been in the game and you've been playing the game at a high level for a while. Who else should we bring on to talk about eight-figure exits? I think there's a couple of folks that I would, I mean, I, I would recommend you speak with Dr. Michael Klein, who wrote Trapped in the Family Business. I mean, he's just got a fascinating perspective, and he's just really a terrific, terrific professional and, and, and guy. And he would be one because it, it, you've got a lot of listeners out there that I'm sure are struggling with just the dynamics of their own family, let alone their own family business. So it, it, it's very complex. I would also... I'd recommend you reach out to Michael Carter. Michael is the CEO of a company called Biz Equity. So they're the largest business valuation firm in the world. So they're running, you know, this is all kind of a cloud-based platform that can run the valuation of a business and really helps to seek, to, to answer the question, what's my business worth and what do I need to do to make it worth more? And then I would also suggest that there's a guy named Chuck Richards, who is the CEO of a company called Value Compass. And these are all guys that I know and individuals that I work with. And then there's a really talented woman in Phoenix by the name of Diane Thomas. She's a broker, so but she's gonna she's got a front row seat on on kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly as well. So if you wanna hit me up, I can give you their contact information. That would be exciting. Thank you so much. And now Yeah, you're welcome. Final question. What is uh -oh. the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode? Because we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I think that if you're looking to work with an exit planner, I think, you know, or really maximize 
the odds of a successful outcome. You really need to have, you know, in your stable of advisors, someone who's, you know, equally professionally trained, I would say, and then and equally strong, both on the financial side, the business side. And that doesn't mean they have to have all the answers themselves, but have a, a good group of folks behind them or around them that can assist you. And, you know, again, I'd go, I just reiterate what we talked about before, that if if you're looking to to maximize, you know, your outcome, whether that's financially, emotionally, community, whatever it is, the quicker you start, the better, the you know, the the, the, the greater the odds for a, a positive, positive result. So start early. I always, people always ask me, hey, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Start now. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a tree situation. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. Hey, Mark, how do the folks get in contact with you? Because I'm sure they love what they heard from you. Well, I would be flattered if anyone reached out. But if you'd like to reach me, I'd suggest you go to our website. You can learn more about our firm, our team, our process. And that is www.legacybusinessadvisors.com. Or you can hit me up on LinkedIn at Mark J as in Joseph, Dorman, D as in David, O-R-M-A-N. Thank you so much, Mark. And to the listeners, yeah. if you want some help with your exit, if you want that planning help, you probably should reach out to Mark. If you're looking for what's next, we should have a conversation. You can email me at Jerome at JeromeMyers.co. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. Thanks again, Mark. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>